Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kyle and I talk about how you can start, run and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called Customer Exploration, Seeing Through Your Customer's Eyes. Let's get started. Once you reach the stability stage of your business, you have a mostly mature product that's used by many customers. You can expect that for most of the use cases, it's going to be good enough. But instead of guessing, I recommend setting aside some time every few months to do some customer exploration. Consider it to be continuous validation of the customer-facing properties of your service. Just like you need to make sure your expenses aren't growing beyond what you can afford, you need to regularly check if your product still solves your customer's critical problem sufficiently. This is best done by incentivizing customers to jump on a screen share-based video call that you can record with their permission, of course. Service credit for your business or an Amazon gift card can work wonders here, depending on the kind of customer that you're talking to, as long as it's something valuable to them. It will help you get them on board. It's hard to find the right customers to make sure the feedback you receive is as unbiased as possible. That's where the three-pronged approach works well, as it allow you, allows you to find the extremes and the overlaps. First, find the customers that had the most trouble with your product, and watch them use it for a while. Then, do the same with customers who have not reached out about problems. Finally, talk to a few customers who usually rave about the product and share it with their peers. That way, you will find a lot of known issues that you're already quite aware of, but there will also be surprising ones. Often, the customers who don't complain and don't rave about your product may still be struggling and using the product in strange, unexpected ways. You will never find those behavior patterns unless you can catch your customers exhibiting them right in front of you. This method often surfaces disconnects in feature presence and feature usage. It allows you to revise your roadmap and fine-tune your feature prioritization framework at the same time. It will also allow you to improve the affordance that your features show, talking in design terms here, and it will lead to a better user interface. That's why it's so important to record it. Because once you have a recording of people using their product, you can see these little nuances, these little problems, and you can really dive deep into why they're problems. Then, after that, be sure to include the customers who exposed this problem and include them into the deliberation about potential solutions. That level of involvement will often turn them into brand ambassadors, providing a powerful brand reinforcement effect in your niche community or your tribe. So, what do you ask in a customer exploration call? I suggest taking every single call as a completely fresh opportunity to look into the life of this particular customer. It's a form of qualitative analysis, so don't expect to get any meaningful numbers out of it. What you're looking for are problems, imbalances, and opportunities. You start with setting expectations. The first thing you should tell your customers after thanking them for joining is that this is a space where they can be as critical as they want to be. You're looking for things that don't work. You're not looking for praise. Just like with your audience problem and solution validation calls in the preparation stage, you need your customers to point out the malfunctions, the pains, and the issues that they have. Make sure they understand that they can help you most by pointing out as many problems as possible. You don't need to hear a thank you and you build a great software kind of message here, right? You need problems. You need actual points of friction. And for that, 
The second step is to ask for an unbiased walkthrough. Make your customers use the product to solve their problems under your observation, best through screen sharing and recording, as I said. Ask them to explain to you what they're doing. Act as if you were somebody who's seeing this product for the first time. What works well here is asking your customer to explain it to you as if you were one of their colleagues. The idea is to remove any kind of bias towards you. The video part of this will be incredibly useful later. You can see how quickly customers pick up interface actions and how they interact with your product altogether. After the walkthrough, ask for what pains them. Which needs aren't fulfilled? Where are costs too high? Where do they spend more time than they like? This is an excellent opportunity for them to reflect on the actions that they just took and where reality was disconnected from the expectations they might have had. Then ask for alternatives. Are there alternative solutions that offer a solution to their problem? If so, how do these solutions differ from your product? If your product didn't exist, how would your customer solve their problem right now? You're trying to find out everything you can about the job to be done here. But where this is likely speculation and not overly realistic, because people are using your product, so they don't use an alternative, but it should give you some insight into the order of magnitude that your product is helping them with. If their alternative is just a little bit harder to use, you'll need to step up your game. Then ask for missing critical features. Most of the time, customers will be content with the scope of your product. But then there are the times when everything changes. A new law requires providing a new report or a document and your current solution doesn't yet offer it. For example, um, offering downloadable invoices. This won't be a first-rate feature when you first start your business, but it will definitely will be something that becomes critical come next tax season. So listening to your customer's voice to dissatisfaction with the absence of some features can guide you into how much they need something right now or in the future. And then finally, ask for the nice-to-haves. And ask for this last. Often those features are quickly built or they may already be in the works. And it's a good way to end a conversation with a customer as the focus is on something positive yet non-critical. The chances of something important surfacing here are low, but you never know. Your customers might have needs but not be aware of them until they have a chance to ponder what they'd like to see. It's just as much an exploratory conversation for them as it is for you. So let's talk about how often you should do this. I think repetition is key. It depends on how many resources you want to invest in this kind of research, sure, but it's, it's beneficial and it also takes away your attention for a few hours per call, both with the preparation, the call itself, and making meaningful notes during and after the call. I still recommend you take a day for this activity with three or four customers every two months. Try talking to the same customers multiple times throughout a year. What new problems did they encounter since your last call? Did you solve the problems they complained about in the meantime? It's a great opportunity for you to show how accountable you can be. If you can make this customer's life easier, you can be sure they're going to be very talkative about it to their peers. And you may wonder, check in with people every two months for a product that's already clearly selling and has happy customers? I understand that you may have other things on your mind. And I know that you do because I'm a founder myself. I remember the days where no thought 
would go into customer exploration because there was just so much else to do. But founders are dreamers and we can lose our synchronization with reality. Customer exploration is the antidote to this and it will pull you right back into alignment with the reality of your customers. And talking about misalignment, I would like to comment now on a few events that happened last week and caused a lot of developers to yell at each other over the internet. I'd like to talk about platform risk and dependency risk a little bit. And I'll get right to that after thanking my sponsors. The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the Bootstrap Founder community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. Today's guest sponsor is HipSpec, a user story catalog for teams building software. HipSpec was created to help product teams avoid reinventing the wheel. HipSpec provides templates of user stories and acceptance criteria to help you elevate table stakes discussion when you spec out your software features. They catalog more than 730 research user stories that are easily imported into a variety of project management tools. With HipSpec, you can automate requirements for the boring stuff and focus on elevating your product game. Go check it out at hipspec.com. That's hipspec.com. If you'd like to receive a promo code for Balsamic or even just thank the folks at Balsamic for supporting our community, visit balsamic.com slash go slash bootstrap dash founder. All right. So today I want to share a few thoughts about platform risk. Over the last week, one of the most talked about events in the developer world was the conflict between Apple and the people at Basecamp. Basecamp recently released their long-awaited email client, Hey.com. And while they didn't have a problem getting the first version of the iOS app into the App Store, a later bug fix version got rejected. Then, if you live in the same bubble as I do, the whole world exploded. Everybody had an opinion, and it was a great example of outrage marketing and its consequences. Apple claimed that the Hey.com app, which is a paid email service, should provide an in-app purchase option to pay, of which Apple would then get 30%. The Basecamp founders wouldn't have any of this. Then a lot of back and forth happened until Apple relented somewhat and allowed the app into the store. But I don't think we're done yet with this story, so it's going to be an interesting one to follow. But no matter where you stand on this issue, one thing was noticeable. A lot of developers shared their stories about how helpless they felt when something similar happened to them. And unlike the Basecamp founders who have made it and can afford having a little public skirmish with the likes of Apple, a Bootstrap iOS app developer sure is not going to be so lucky. I read stories about arbitrary rejections, human support being completely unreachable, whole businesses fading away because a reviewer just wouldn't tell them what exactly they didn't get right when they submitted their binary to the store. People submitted stories, they blogged about it, they just talked about it publicly for the first time, and many of these stories had been going on for years. They just were too scared to talk about it at the fear of repercussions. And honestly, this is so frustrating to read. It reminded me of my own experiences with platforms, and it's not just Apple. For us at Feedback Panda, it was related to our browser extensions. Both the Chrome extension store and the Firefox extension store, or the add-on store they call it, caused us trouble at some point. Out of the blue, Chrome started to complain, or the Chrome team, I guess, they started to complain about a certain keyword that we used in the description and immediately took down our extension. Later, I kind of submitted a bug-fixed version to the Firefox store, only to get a randomized reviewer who really didn't like my coding style and asked me to add more comments 
into the source code, also disabling the add-on immediately. It always happened without any prior warnings, and I had to scramble to fix those kind of things within hours, often when I wasn't even somewhere with a with an internet connection. I was lucky that it never required re-engineering the extension significantly. It was always just a couple of small changes. And it never caused a major downtime of an important part of our business. But it still produced this helpless feeling in me. It's that feeling of being completely subjected to the arbitrary whims of a much larger business. And if there's anything that they don't like, you're out. And it's not just App Store rejections either. Do you remember when Google decided to make it harder to create third-party app blockers? That was a business choice, and that will destroy a number of businesses and projects in its wake. And it's the web extension API that all Chrome extensions use that they're changing. They will change the way requests can be intercepted, and which is how ad blockers make sure that they don't load ads or more sinister kind of software onto your browser. So they will the, the way it will work in the future makes this so much harder to implement that it's maybe even going to be impossible in some cases. And Apple recently announced that the next version of Safari will support the web extension API too, which is great. But then they immediately added that Safari extensions will focus on limiting what developers can access and what they can do. While this is a big win for user privacy, in many cases, it's going to be a nightmare for developers in all cases. And it's something you won't be able to avoid. This will happen because Apple wants it to happen. And it's the same for the web extension API change that Google is planning. It will happen because Google wants it to happen. And that is the true power of the platform. They can push you off the platform, sure, with a rejection. But they can also make changes that will just dry out your business by making your product dysfunctional. If you're building your product on a platform like the Apple App Store, the Chrome Extension Store, the Firefox Add-on Store, or other platforms like Intercom or Shopify or Jira, understand that their platform has an internal roadmap that might not align with your business. Probably won't. And it might contain a change that could derail your whole business within days, maybe weeks, or maybe months. So what can you do? For browser extension developers, well, you can only hope that there are ways to sideload your extensions into browsers. There still are some in some browsers, but there are browsers who make it impossible um, to actually load an extension that is not coming through the store, just like it's kind of impossible to get an iOS app onto your phone without being a developer and without going through the store. And other than hoping that there will be an API for the feature you need in the foreseeable future, you really can't do anything as an extension developer. If you're building your business or something on top of another platform, try turning it into a multi-platform product, at least, to cushion the blow if any of those platforms ever decides to kick you off. Just like you want to have a diverse range of customers in your business to make a single customer churning less problematic, you will need to diversify the platforms on which you run. If you're building a tool that only works with Amazon, think of integrating other marketplaces. If you're sitting on top of Shopify, figure out how you can also support self-hosted web shops because there are many, many small businesses still running on a Magento from late 2013 or something. Diversify. Lower your overall risk by spreading out over a multitude of platforms. 
Finally, platform dependency is also a problem if you're building a regular SaaS business that doesn't integrate with anybody. Because on some level, you have dependencies. You may have all your users' billing info in Stripe. Or you may use an authentication cloud provider to handle all your login data. I recommend always integrating those kind of services with at least a layer of abstraction and keeping in mind that one day you might need to switch them out for some other service. This day may never come, and it won't come for all the moving parts of your business, but be aware that the services you depend on might implode, have issues, need maintenance, or might just go away over time. This also doesn't mean you should build everything yourself either. Dependencies are a calculated risk, not something to completely avoid. You won't be able to build a software business without other software tools, just like you wouldn't build your own delivery trucks if you were to start a logistics business. Trust in the work that other people do to provide the best products possible, but at the same time, stay alert because nothing is infallible. So, premeditated abstractions, chasing integration targets, and ad hoc improvisation when things break will be your constant companion when you build your product on other services. Whenever you integrate something into your business, know that it can fail. Be prepared for that and minimize your risks by diversifying your platforms and your dependencies. That way, you'll be ready for whatever may come. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at avidkahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L, and you can check out the blog at thebootstrappedfounder.com. If you have any questions about this episode, please just reach out on Twitter or send an email to arvid at thebootstrappedfounder.com. If you want to support me in the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. This will help other founders or founders-to-be to find the podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling the bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.